Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors of Salt Church. Great to have you here. Happy long weekend. You uh, you made a great choice coming to church on the long weekend. Best place to be. Um, well, we are looking at these trustworthy sayings. Uh, five times in the New Testament we're told this is a trustworthy saying. And we've looked at three of them already across this year, and there's two more we'll see before we start a new series. Here's the ones we've seen. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in every way. The one we're looking at tonight, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then next week, God saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. These five times we hear this trustworthy saying. Uh, And these are sayings you can build your life on. Uh, Humans have a lot of different sayings about how to live. Some of the things we say are very useful. Uh, sayings like a stitch in time saves nine. Uh, not uh, What's the, the glitter one? Uh, all that glitters isn't gold. Other sayings like that. Uh, it's okay to eat that because of the five second rule. We've got all these helpful sayings about how to live life. Uh, but what people say isn't always true. It isn't always trustworthy. Sometimes you shouldn't eat it. God's word is completely different though, isn't it? What God says is always true. It's always trustworthy. You can build your life on God's words. It's a firm anchor for our soul. And the saying from God that we're going to look at today is this one. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, what do you make of this saying? I reckon there's three common reactions that people make to this saying. I've made all three of these reactions across my life. Here's three possible reactions. Is this a true saying? Didn't Jesus come for other reasons? To teach us how to be better people, to heal. And if Jesus did come with a mission, wouldn't it be something bigger? Fixing something bigger like cancer or pandemics or world hunger or loneliness. Isn't there a bigger problem for Jesus to fix than sin? Second question, can we trust this saying? If you know you're a sinner, can you really trust that Jesus will save you? What about if you feel beyond saving, like there's no chance God would accept you? Or if you're a Christian and you trust in Jesus, but there's times where you don't feel saved. You feel more like an imposter, secretly afraid that you'll turn up to heaven and Jesus won't say, come on in. He'll say, what are you doing here? You're a sinner. Third question, third reaction Do we need this saying? All of us personally know people who are far worse than us. If you're good, if you're religious, if you're spiritual, do you need what Jesus came to bring? I'm going to pray, then let's unpack this sentence and look at those responses. There's plenty more responses, but there's just three. How about I pray? Father God, thank you that we can be hearing from you, learning from you tonight. Please, Lord, take away all the distractions, all the things that are going on for us. Help us just to concentrate on what you have to say to us. Help me to speak faithfully, truthfully. Help us to hear you and be changed by you. Amen. 
Well, let's look at the sentence. First of all, you can see we're talking about Christ Jesus, the most extraordinary person who's ever lived. That's who we're talking about. It's all about Christ Jesus. And second, see that Christ Jesus came. He came into the world. Uh, Jesus wasn't just born like us, like a regular baby, and then grew into a kid and then became an adult and then started to teach people, and then he you know, discovered he could heal people, and then he thought, you know, what the heck, I'm here anyway, I might as well save people from their sins. No, he came. It was not an accident that Jesus is here. The only reason he's in the world in the first place is because he came. He left his throne in heaven to come. He was sent by his Father God into the world for a purpose. And he came, the purpose, he came to save to rescue, which is good news because humans need a lot of help. We've made a bit of a mess of our lives and a bit of a mess of the world. It's good news that Jesus is a savior. But who does Jesus save? Well, he came to save sinners. Now, what is sin? A sin is not when you eat too much ice cream or when you fail to be true to yourself. It's not even doing wrong things, doing bad things. Sin is when we tell God, I'm the boss, and I don't want to listen to you. At its heart, it's about rebellion, it's about disobedience, it's about rejecting God. That's what sin is at its heart. And God is perfect. God can't deal with sin. He's too holy to look on sin. Uh, i got three kids. One of my boys must have had a like an anti-bullying, anti-drugs class at school recently, because uh, he started saying this new phrase, well, when my other kids are wrestling with him or they try and take his stuff off him, he'll shout at them, my body, my rules. He'll just shout that out at them with this like such an, you know, so, uh, so sincere as he shouts this to them. And I've been, I've been hearing this phrase and I've been thinking about it and I've been chatting with him. My body, my rules. Think about it. There's a kernel of truth to that phrase. It's good to have boundaries and not let other people control your body. That's true, that's good, but it's also very wrong because it's God's body. God made us, each of us. God gave us our bodies and it's God's rules because he's our God, which I've tried to teach my six-year-old. He's getting some of it. Sin, though, is when we, sin is that. Sin is when we act as if we're God. We're in control. My body, my rules. I can do what I want. I can live without God. That's what sin is. So what does it mean that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? How does he save sinners? Well, he saves us from sin. And let me give you four ways, four Ps. They all start with Ps because that's what preachers do. He saves us from the penalty of sin. God cares how we treat him. God is perfect. He's rightly angry at our sin, at our rejection of him. And the penalty we deserve for the way we treat God is death and eternal judgment. But Jesus came to take that penalty for us. He died in our place of the cross to take our guilt and our shame so that we can be safe with God, forgiven by God, accepted by God, declared not guilty because Jesus took our guilt. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. He also saves us from the power of sin. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, we have this new life where sin is not our master anymore. 
We can say yes to God as our king and no to rejecting God. It's like in verse 14. Have a look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, we'll come back to this, but this is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul, who we've been looking at in our Acts series. Here's what he says in verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he's been forgiven. The penalty's been taken away. He's had God's mercy towards him. But he's also been changed by the grace and the faith and the love that have come from Jesus, that Jesus has poured on him and pours out on us. He's freed from the power of sin. The next one, the presence of sin. Sometimes Jesus frees us from this, but not totally. We still have to deal with sin. We still have to fight against sin. Jesus doesn't free us from the presence of sin yet. We have to battle our desire to ignore God. Uh, We've got threats from the world, from our own flesh, from the devil. One day, though, Jesus will remove the presence of sin. And then last one, the pain of sin. Sometimes Jesus does free us from the, the consequences of sin. We don't experience the consequences of our sin or other people's sin. A lot of the time, though, we do experience that. We do experience the pain of sin. And again, someday Jesus will save us from that. One day he'll remove all the pain too. So he frees us from the penalty of sin, the power of the sin, not yet the presence of sin, not yet the pain of sin, but it's coming. Um, That's the four Ps. Uh, This is what it means that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He saves us from this. So come back to those three reactions that I gave at the start. Let's have a look at them. Let's think about this. Is this a true saying? That's the saying. Is it a true saying? Didn't Jesus come for other reasons? Teaching us how to be better people, healing people, making the world a better place. And if he did come with a mission, isn't it something bigger? Fixing something like cancer or pandemics or loneliness. Is this true? Well, yes, it is true. Jesus came to fix the biggest problem there is. And if you're a Christian, I'm sure you already know this, but think about this again. Jesus came to fix the biggest problem there is. And you can tell how big and serious sin is based on what it cost Jesus. To bear the penalty of sin, to free us from the power of sin. He gave his life in pain and suffering. At the cross, he was rejected by the Father who loves him more than anything else. Not to mention that he came in the first place. He left his glory and his throne in heaven. To live on earth where each second he was surrounded by people who hated and rejected him. If there was any other way to deal with sin, if there was any other problem bigger than sin, why would Jesus go through all of that? The fact that he did shows us how serious this is. It shows us how serious sin is. It's a little bit like Aaron Ralston. Uh, You know the name, even if you don't know this guy. On the 26th of April, 2003, Aaron was solo climbing in Utah. He went into Blue John Canyon in Utah, and as he was climbing through a canyon, a boulder dislodged, fell down, and trapped his right wrist. Uh, He changed his plans at the very last minute, and so nobody knew where he was there. There was no hope of rescue. For five days, he tried every possible way to get his arm out of this boulder that had trapped him. But with no choice left, he finally broke his arm and used a dull pocket knife to cut through the skin, cut through the muscle, cut through the nerves, and cut off his arm. 
Then he rappelled down a 20-meter cliff with one hand. He hiked 11 kilometers to safety. He swam to Australia. He did it all. (laughs) And now he gives motivational talks about this, uh, about what he went through. But imagine if someone came up to him at one of these motivational talks and said, wow, it's so inspiring what you went through. It's incredible. But, uh, But I went to Blue John Canyon and I found the boulder. And I, I hate to break it to you, got some bad news, but, but I worked out, if you just had it done this, you could have just taken your arm out. I'm really sorry. Now, what would Aaron say to that? Oh, I would have to be, oh, because he's, you know, <laughs> cut the arm off. Too soon? <laughs> no, no, what he would say is, no, there was no other way. I was in this deadly serious situation. I was about to die. That's why I cut my arm off. There was no other way to be saved. If there was any other way for Jesus to deal with sin, if there was any other problem bigger than sin, why would Jesus go through all of that? Why would the Father send him into the world? The cost shows us this is true. It shows us why Jesus came. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you've never been saved by Jesus, you can be saved by Jesus. You can walk out of this building right with God. You can leave that seat as a friend of God. The penalty paid, the guilt gone, your shame washed away. All you have to do is trust Jesus to save you and follow him as your Lord. That's all you have to do because that's why he came. That's why he's here. What about the next question? Can we trust this saying? Can you really be saved if you know that you're not good? Or you don't feel saved? You feel more like an imposter? Well, we find the answer in the life of Paul. Uh, Some people's role in life is to be examples for the rest of us. And that's true of Paul. He's an example to us. Uh, Paul wrote this sentence. Have a look in verse 15. Let me give you the full sentence. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, worst sinner is a hotly contested title. I'm sure you can think of some people you'd like to nominate in this competition. Uh, People, the evil people who live in jails, who were locked away. The people guilty of war crimes. The Adolf Hitlers of the world. Or maybe closer to home, the people who have hurt or used or abused you. There's no shortage of worst sinners. So why does Paul claim the crown? Well, he owns who he was and what he's done. And we've seen this the last couple of weeks in our Acts series. We've seen the life of Paul. Here's who he was. Have a look in verse 13. He says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. That's who he was, violent, a persecutor, a blasphemer. Uh, Paul was this up-and-coming leader in the world of first-century Judaism, and he was making his mark in that world by stamping out the Christian movement. He searched for Christians house-to-house, demanded that they give up their belief in Jesus, and if they wouldn't, he dragged men and women off and threw them into prison. And he destroyed Christians and the church wherever he found it. 
And when Christianity, when the Christian movement spread from ancient Israel out to the other cities in the Roman Empire, Paul followed it. He chased this thing. He, he was going to Damascus, as we heard back in Acts. He was on his way to Damascus, hunting Christians in Damascus. And on the way there, Jesus met him. On the road there, Jesus met him. The very one he was persecuting. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he realized in that moment that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was the Lord. He was the head of the church that Paul was trying to crush. That's who he was. But he became the man that we've seen all these weeks across Acts. The man who serves Jesus, who loves people, who goes out of his way to share the gospel. Uh, Have a look in verse 12. You can see his wonder at the gospel here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul knows this saying is true and it's trustworthy because it's happened for him. He is a sinner who has been saved by Jesus. He's the worst sinner. Paul's life is proof to us. More than that, he's a deliberate example. God deliberately chose to save him as an example for the rest of us. Because look at verse 16. But for that very reason, because I was the worst sinner, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus chose the worst of sinners to prove to you and me and everyone else who will believe in Jesus just how gracious Jesus is, just how patient Jesus is. Uh, And think about the patience of Jesus, the patience of God here. God knew everything that Paul would do. But in eternity past, he decided, I'm going to create Paul. And he gave Paul his life and his friends and his health. He gave them the ability to learn. He gave him all these things to him, knowing that Paul would use his life and his knowledge and his health to violently persecute the very one who gave them to him. He let all of that happen for year after year after year after year until the day when Jesus finally appeared to him. That is patience. That is love and grace. And the point here is, if Jesus did that for Paul, of course he can do that for us. Of course we can trust this saying. As sometimes people believe that they are too far gone for God. That not even God could accept me after what I've done and what I've seen and what I've said. But that's simply not true. If he saved even Paul, who was as far from pleasing God as it's possible to be, of course he can save you. In fact, he can save anyone. I said this back in our Acts series, but I'll say it again. I think this teaches us, don't ever, ever, ever give up on anyone. The worst person you know, the most self-absorbed person you know, the most troubled and broken and abused person you know, the most evil person you know, the best person you know. Don't believe that anyone is beyond God's power to save because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
What about the third question, the third reaction? Do we need this saying? Well, again, let's look at the life of Paul. He calls himself the worst sinner. He rejected God, the Son of God, even while he thought he was pleasing God. But he's also ignorant. And he made mistakes. And he doesn't believe. And he had regrets. And he was misguided. And he was foolish. And you actually get this picture of someone who is just so very human. Because we're all like that. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We're all misguided. We do the wrong thing for the right reason. We do the right thing for the wrong reason. We reject the Son of God. We do what we want. My body, my rules. We all need this saying. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how religious or spiritual or faithful, no matter how Christian you are, we're so good at deceiving ourselves about all of this that most of the time we don't even realize we're doing it. Instead of owning our own mess, I think what we do is we bright side it. Uh, My friend used this phrase with me uh, a while back. See if you can relate to this. She was saying, sometimes you meet people and their lives are just truly awful. They, They just had such a bad run of it. Their relationships have been broken, their health has been taken away, their family has been stolen from them, their, their lives have been completely disrupted by alcohol and drugs, whatever it is, it's just plain awful. And they do their best in these really horrible circumstances. They pick themselves up again, they defeat these addictions, they work hard to fix the relationships, they protect their kids, they face terrible illness with a smile on their face. And you just want to applaud them. Then they brightside it. They weave this story that it's not actually all bad. In fact, life is good. It's better now. I prefer it. I wish everyone had my life. They put all the emphasis on the bright sides and cover up and brush away the reality, the mess of what's really happened which doesn't help because it's not real. It's a mask people put up to protect themselves. And I think we all do this. We bright side because we're scared to face the mess of real life. We're scared to face the mess of real sin and real pain, to face the reality of who we are and what we've done. We're scared to show that to the people around us. But Jesus is not fooled. Jesus knows you. He knows everything you've done, everything you've thought, everything you've said. And when Jesus saved us, we weren't looking for Jesus. We weren't waiting expectantly. We didn't even know we had a problem. He came to us like the lost people Andy was talking about. He came and found us when we were lost. We weren't looking for him. He came to us. We were too busy brightsiding ourselves. But Jesus doesn't brightside us. He doesn't ask what you think about yourself. He doesn't interview your friends and family to find out what they think about you. He's not interested in your CV or your credentials. He doesn't look at your good and bad profit and loss statement. He already knows everything about you. Yet he gently brushes all of that away and says, Sinner, I came to save you. Is this saying true? Yes. Is this saying trustworthy? Yes. Do we need this saying? Yes, we all need this saying. 
So let me finish up with some implications. I've got six implications, because why not? Here's six implications. Some of them are quick. First one, be saved. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, be saved. This is the whole reason that Jesus came, was to save. If you didn't need saving, if sin wasn't a big deal, why would the Father send Jesus? Why would Jesus come to die for us? Like Aaron Ralston, there's no other way. There is no other way to be saved, and you need to be saved. So trust Jesus as your Savior and follow him as your Lord if you've never done that before. And life is a great place to come to hear about that and how to do it and what it means. Second, recover your wonder. If you're a Christian, I'm sure you know the story of the prodigal son, uh, the story with the two sons and the dad. Uh, I think Christians tend to be more like one or the other of those two sons. Uh, If you're more like the older son, the older son who's just obedient, who never had rebellious moments, who never had a wasted life, wasted years, you may need to recover your wonder. If you don't think of yourself as a sinner who's been saved... How can you appreciate your Savior? You won't appreciate your Savior as much as you should. And that comes, I think, when we brightside ourselves. When we brightside who we were and think we were better than we were. When we brightside who we are now and think that we're better than we are now. You may have to find your wonder again at Jesus. Like older Christians that I meet. Sometimes I meet older Christians and I'll ask them, what's good about being a Christian when you're in your 80s and your 90s? And a lot of them will say to me, Jesus saved me. And they'll say it like they just heard it. Like it's the best news they've ever heard. Then they only just heard it. They're still saying it in their 90s. They've been Christians longer than I've been alive. We need to recover our wonder again. Or if you're more like the younger son, the younger son is rebellious, who's got the wasted years, who's got all the regrets, all the grief, all the guilt and shame. Trust this saying. It's really true. You can build your life on this. You are saved. I have a sign upstairs. There's some offices upstairs. I've got a sign on my desk upstairs and it says, all I have to do today is trust the gospel. It's a bit of a simplification. I need to eat. I need to work. I need to maintain standards of hygiene. You know, all those things are still true. But another point, it is totally right. All I have to do today is trust the gospel, trust this saying that Christ came to save sinners. The Christian life is about that truth sinking deeper and deeper, becoming more true every day, building our lives on this trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Fourth one, be real. Uh, This one's to us as a whole church. Let's not brightside ourselves to each other. Don't be scared to be real. There's a church I know of in Berkeley, and the suburb of Berkeley has got a bit of reputation. There's a lot of housing commission. There's a lot of broken lives in Berkeley. And there's a church I know in Berkeley, and the Christians in this church have been saved from out of that world, out of that culture. And they know that. They know that their lives have been messed up by sin. They own that about themselves. And so each week in their small group, everybody in small groups gives a urine sample to be drug tested as an accountability measure. They've got no illusions about who they are. They are broken people who trust a wonderful saviour. 
But some of my friends have left churches that look a lot like our church because of the fake. Fake joy, fake lives, excitement and hype, but no substance. By people who are too scared to admit they don't have it all together. I've got a friend who is desperate for a meaningful conversation, for a real conversation about the struggles in a Christian life, but no one in her church is interested in having that conversation with her. Whenever she tries to bring it up, they change the topic, they keep it light, and she's left to battle on her own. We never want to be that church. We're a body. We're Christians who are loved by the same Christ and saved by the same Christ. We're not okay. We don't have it all together. We haven't arrived. We're broken people who trust in a wonderful Savior. I'm sure some of you use the Be Real app. Is this for those who are older, like me? Someone had to tell me about this app. There's an app, Be Real. It's a, I think the idea is you just take a photo. Uh, you sign up with your friends and it tells you at random times in the day to take a photo within two minutes of whatever you're doing right then and share it with all your friends. To be real, to show the real version of what's going on in your life. Uh, Instagram is like the A version. This is the B version. It's the real version, the real version of what's going on. If that's what our culture is trying to do, shouldn't that so much more be true of Christians? We have the safety of a savior. We can totally be honest about who we are. And perhaps this might be one reason why many people, many of us are finding it hard to come to church this year. Uh, Post-COVID, past all the frustrations of the last two years, most churches are sharing, most pastors are sharing that the number of people in the room on a Sunday has dropped uh, by 10%, 20%, even up to 50%. Half as many people in the room on any given Sunday compared to what they used to be two years ago. Uh, and it's actually happened here. Uh, all of us are here less often than we used to be. Um, sometimes you don't realize because you, you don't kind of track every single week. Um, but even thinking in my own life, I realized that I've actually been here less than I thought I was here. Uh, and there's many different reasons for that. Uh, for me, for starters, I've been sick this year more than I used to be. I was sick for two months straight this year with all sorts of different infections and everything. Uh, I'm more tired than I used to be. I feel like I've got less resilience. People tire me out more than they used to. Uh, I'm still playing catch-up with friends and family that I haven't seen for a while. I think some of us just want to get away and travel. All those things are totally true. And, and you can watch church from home now. And that makes it so much easier. I mean, I can't, because like, who would be giving the talk right now? Um, but you can watch church from home, and it makes it so much easier. And it's really hard to come to church when you have to be able to smile and show everyone that you've got it all together and that you're okay. But who said you had to be able to smile and show people that you've got it all together and you're okay? Satan said that, not Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners. We're a body. We're Christians who are saved by Jesus and we're not okay. Of course we don't have it all together. Who does? We're broken people who trust a wonderful saviour. So let's be here to help each other. And let's be real with each other. Fifth one and sixth one, much quicker. Be on mission. The whole reason Jesus came is to save sinners. How can we not share that news with people? That's why he came. How can we not hold that good news out to people? And we've got opportunities this very week to do that. It's not too late to invite people to the Salt Fest events. 
uh, and to invite people along to life. It's not too late. You can totally do that tonight. You can totally invite people or tomorrow as you see them at work or neighbors or wherever it is. Uh, but also, we've been advertising Salt Fest as Wednesday to Sunday, but the events start on Thursday night. Why is that? Why did we start it on Wednesday? Well, it's because on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday at lunchtime, I'm going to be walking the streets, and you're very welcome to come and join me. Uh, I'm going to be walking the streets Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 12 o'clock, just for an hour, and then grabbing some lunch afterwards, trying to strike up conversations with people, inviting them along to the events, and asking them, what do you believe? What do you believe about life? What do you believe about God? You're very welcome to come and join me, 12 o'clock, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you've never done that before, and that's like super scary, that's totally fine. You can just come with me. You don't even need to say anything. Just be like, hey, I'm Jeff. Well, don't say that. That would be weird. But like, whoever your real name is, I'm just, I'm coming with, you know, we're striking up conversations. Hey, I'm Jeff. And then I'll do all the talking and you can just come along and see what it's like. Um, come and join me. Meet here at 12 o'clock. It's scary, but... Be on mission. This is why Jesus has come. And last thing, last of all, give God the glory. There's actually a deeper reason behind all of this. There's a deeper reason that Jesus came to save sinners. There's a deeper reason to be saved, to recover your wonder, to trust this saying, to be real, to be on mission. The deeper reason is to give glory to King Jesus. Look at verse 17. Look at how Paul finishes this section. It's like he can't help it. Just this praise of God just bubbles out of him. Here's what he says. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's never tire of giving glory to Jesus. Jesus deserves to be famous. God deserves to be praised. How about I pray and then we'll praise him in song. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you came, that you left your glory and your throne in heaven to come and save wretched sinners like us. We praise you so much for that. We praise you that we can celebrate that for eternity with you. Please change us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to recover our wonder, to trust this saying, to be on mission, to be real, to give you the glory. And I pray for those of us here who are still exploring this and and don't know what to make of you yet. Please, Lord, will you steer us towards you? Help us to find the answers so that we can find life in your name too. Amen.